Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Uh, we got to be here um, uh, all but the last night, um, and uh, Bible school was a blast. And um, yeah, thanks. Closing those back doors there. Um, kids aren't allowed to sing at this church, but right now they're, 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 they're getting up to the back. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Todd mentioned our, kid, our teenagers went, and, and some adults went to Nashville, uh, which is the Southern Baptist Holy Land, Nashville, Tennessee. That's where our headquarters are. And, uh, and I got to go to the real Holy Land in Israel. And so we just got back last night, and we actually landed uh, and, and drove back uh, from Washington. We were back here about 4.30, and I was feeling real good. And I was like, honey, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do that. And then we went, oh. And about 6 o'clock, we just fell out, and, and 7 o'clock, we were asleep. So we got about 10... 10, 12 hours sleep, according to, well, about 10 hours sleep last night. So I feel a little better, and I'm glad to be here, aren't you? Well, amen. I am super glad. You know, um, uh, people go to the Holy Land, and uh, in fact, that last song is a lot about what I want to talk about today, uh, that we just sang, the kids helped us sing. Um, people talk about going to the Holy Land, walking where Jesus walked. No, you're walking about 30 or 40 feet above where Jesus used to walk, because stuff keeps coming in there. But, but uh, you see things uh, that that make the Bible come alive. You really do. And, and it wasn't so much that, because what I saw there, um, and, and my son-in-law, Stephen, helped me to see some of this. My, I rolled up my sleeves just because I was getting warm, so they may fall out, so I may have to play with my shirt some, so you'll excuse that, I hope. Um, but um, the, uh, what, what we saw there, a lot of the tourists uh, were um, mostly... Catholic of some sort, Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, a bunch of different Orthodox type churches. Um, and, and there were some Protestant tourists, uh, and I'll just use that term broadly. Baptists aren't Protestant, in case you don't know that, but uh, it doesn't matter. We kind of get put in that camp. But, uh, but, but a lot, not as many of those. And, and there were other tourists, of course. And, and what I saw was a veneration of stuff. Uh, they, they were more concerned, like, this may be the actual rock Jesus laid on. Now, I, I don't think so, um, but it could be. Uh, we went to both, like, the traditional site and the site where they, or the site we think it's real and the site where they built buildings around it. And, and we would read plaques, like, about the Pope falling out on this rock that supposedly Peter was sitting on when Jesus said, you're the rock, and all this. And they, they would get all excited about that, and they were missing the reality of a relationship with God because of their religion. And, and I don't want to be cruel toward them uh, because, again, it's an ignorance and a darkness um, that they've been taught. Um, but I'm afraid Baptists are that way too. Um, again, in this passage today, there, there are those who will run after certain things and then we kind of back off from it and we may be as wrong as the one who run after it. And today we're going to see a miraculous healing in the Scripture and there are groups of Christians who think that God has to miraculously heal all the time and in every case. And that's not true. But I think Baptists sometimes, we don't have the faith to believe God can heal and can do it. And we miss it. We say we do, but we kind of miss it. And, and there are teachers that are Baptists. And I'll, I'll pick on us. I don't want to pick on anybody else. I'm just saying from observation. There are Baptist teachers and, and, and things that would say that the time of Jesus is different, or the time after even his resurrection, is different than today. That was just for the first apostles. 
And, and I, just personally, I, I, I can't give you a lot of scriptural evidence for this, but I don't think so. We're in the last days. When Jesus came back, he said, this is how it's going to be now. And so I think sometimes we miss out on some really neat things God has for us, especially in North America. I'm talking to us North Americans. I'm not talking about around the world because there are places around the world, there, there are no doctors where the people live. And so if God doesn't do something, nothing's going to get done. You know what I mean? Amen? So, yeah, so... But, but as Americans, we are fooled by our affluence and our money. I think, I think an abundance is more of a temptation and a problem than persecution and a lack of abundance. I don't know, just before we left, I saw news. I don't know if it's happened or not. I don't know when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. I'll tell you, jumping around made me have to fix my hair too. Um, that North Korea is now open, or they're going to open the border and Christians will be able to freely go in there. And they believe that the church in North Korea has really grown because of the persecution. And I'm sure that's true because Christianity always grows under persecution. Uh, God meant for us to have trouble in this world. He even said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and in me you have peace. Right? So I worry for us sitting here... Because we have so much peace, we forget that we are actually going to have tribulation if we live godly in Christ Jesus, according to Timothy. Right? And so, therefore, Christianity, I don't say is less real, but it's less dynamic for us. And we see this dynamic story in today's scripture. And, and, and people have asked me, you know, about going there. Um, and not so much, but I'm going to pretend like you did so I could tell you this. Um, the thing that really got me the most, uh, we, were, we were in Old City, Jerusalem, and this, this, this passage happens where we were. And, and so I was looking some stuff up and found out we're not sure exactly where, so I, did, I couldn't see that. But we're standing there, and across from Old City, Jerusalem, is the Mount of Olives, where Jesus gave, we call it the Olivet Discourse, where he ascended to heaven in Acts 1-8. That, that became more real. Going to all the world and preach the gospel, you know. He said that there, you shall, when the Spirit comes, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, the, the Middle East, there where Israel is and all those other countries, is the only geographical spot in the world where three continents touch. Europe, Asia, and Africa come together there. There's flowers and fauna and, and, and birds from all three continents there. It's an amazing spot. We're looking around. We came back and saw these mountains. We said, now why would God like that better than this? And I said, well, it's not like it was when he made it. Because, you know, long story. But before the flood, everything was tropical. And, and in case you don't know, Israel pulls water out of the med and desalinates it and irrigates their crops. And they know exactly how much water each crop needs. And they give it that much water. And so Israel is greener than any other place around it because they can irrigate. And it, is, it, it has its own beauty. But, but here's what hit me. My, my son-in-law says, hey, right over there is the, is the garden tomb. Uh, I mean, the garden of Gethsemane. And y'all can go over there. And I was not looking where he was pointing, obviously. Because we went across. We had to go down from Temple Mount, cross the street. And we're climbing the Mount of Olives up this trail. We get almost to the top. And a taxi driver pulled up and said, what are you looking for? We said, the garden of Gethsemane. He said, it's down there at the bottom. <clears throat> Thank you. So, you want to ride? Nope. <laughs> so, we turn around, we walk down to the bottom. It was a beautiful place. 
But there on the top, not only did Jesus ascend to heaven from there, the angel said he'll come back and he'll set his foot there first. And then from there, you look across at Old City Jerusalem and you're looking at the eastern gate. I should have sent the picture up there so you could be showing it, but there's the eastern gate and it's slammed shut. All the other gates are open, but that gate is shut and it cannot be opened. According to prophecy, that gate will not be opened by a man until the king of kings opens it. And one man in history thought, I'll disprove the Bible, I'll go open it. <laughs> he died before he got there to do it, before he could do it. And so it's still shut. And I'm standing there on the Mount of Olives looking across that Easter gate and thinking, the King of Kings, my Lord and Savior, is going to sit down somewhere right here. And he's going to go down this hill and across over there and kick that gate open. That's awesome. So that got me kind of encouraged, you know what I mean? And then I could just put myself in Peter's mind because it was just people everywhere. And that's what we see here in the setting of this story. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. And they run into a guy in need. I'm calling this sermon today, ministry can happen anywhere, even at church. And that was meant to get your attention. I know you don't see it till you come here. But I want you to think about that a minute. You come into church many times thinking, well, everybody here has got it together. That's why you're here. Because, of course, everybody in church, you know, we're Christians. We're saved. That's why we came, right? <laughs> and, and so if we're saved, obviously we got everything together. And we don't have problems or issues or needs. And, you know, we don't ever struggle with anything. So we're cool, right? And nothing can be further from the truth. You think that about everybody else. You don't think anybody's like you, but the reality is everybody in here has a need. Everybody in here has a problem. Everybody in here has an issue they're struggling with. And sometimes we miss ministering to each other because we think everybody's okay, and we're not. And then we miss ministering to people on the outside because we don't see them as they are. And in this passage, Peter and John see this man as he is and what his real need is. And so I want to explain that to you a little bit. And so if you'll stand with me, we'll read Acts chapter 3 in the first 10 verses. This whole chapter goes together, and I'm going to have to break it down. 10 verses is actually too many for me to cover, man. I uncovered a whole bunch of stuff looking at this. Uh, but, but we're going to break it down uh, in bigger, uh, smaller chunks, but still big chunks. Now, Peter and John were going out to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Notice that the hour of prayer is the ninth hour. Breakfast happens at 10. I found out why, Pastor Cream. When I was over there, because 120 degrees in the shade. I mean, it, what, that's an exaggeration, but it was pretty hot. And we had to walk everywhere we went. So you don't smell backyard barbecues till 8 o'clock at night when it's starting to cool down a little bit. Supper is at 8, 9, 10 o'clock. And, and, you know, being number one America, number two old, you know, we go to the cafeteria at 4, you know. And, and so, uh, so, so it was kind of odd to come out at 8 o'clock you... Man, what's that? You know, somebody's grilling out and stuff. So, and so they sleep later because they stay up later because it's so hot during the day. So they go to the temple at 9 to pray. At 10, they're going to have breakfast. I thought it was kind of interesting because I just learned about that recently, and now there it is again. But anyway, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Notice they're going to a place for a purpose, to pray. At the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth. Catch that, from birth. I'm going to explain this more later, but there's a couple of things I just want to get out of the way. From birth. This guy's never stood on his own two feet. He's never walked. Nothing. From birth. He's never been able to stand up. Was being carried, whom, uh, uh, and a man blamed from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, notice that phrase, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, 
on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And, tell, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you again with a, a portion of your word, scripture, that, uh, Lord, we, we obviously uh, may not fully comprehend in this lifetime, but, Lord... Today we ask that you'd open our heart and minds that we can behold wonderful things out of your word. We'll see more today than we've ever seen before. And God, we pray that today you would be glorified. That today your name would be lifted up. And we'd make much of you. And that today, Father, you'd be glorified in the Son, in the body of Christ, the church. And that, Lord, together we would come together as the body to continue doing the things that Jesus began to do and teach. That today, Lord, we would truly be ministering to people in need, and seeing miracles happen. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can sit down if you can. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. I could have made this a more clear sentence, but I I, I said it this way on purpose. Always be prepared to give Jesus and watch a miracle. Here's here's what I'm trying to say in case it's too cumbersome. Uh, for you, because I know that that sentence, I could have written it better, but I wrote it that way for brevity and to make a point. What you have to give away is Jesus. We can do a lot of other things, but the, the most important thing you can do is give somebody else Jesus. And you can give him away many, 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 many times, and he'll never leave you either. And that's the good part. And then when you give Jesus somebody, you'll see a miracle. Because that's the business he's in, in case you didn't know that. He, he, he doesn't come just to hang out and not do anything. He comes to radically change your life. In fact, he comes to kill you and raise you a new creature in Christ. Right? So, so always be prepared to give Jesus. Because when you come to church, there may be somebody here that is in a darker place than you would even imagine. And I'm not going to go there today, but trust me, I, I know stories uh, of people who have been in very dark places who have been in church. And, and it takes a, a deliverance a encounter with God for, for them to be different. And I want you to catch that today as we go on. So, so always, I want you to always be prepared to give Jesus away. I, I, let's see what happens here. Peter and John, as already said, they're going up to the temple, the hour of prayer to pray. That's the ninth hour, nine in the morning. They're going up there uh, to, to pray. Now, their intention is to go pray. They went to the temple every day, we read in the scripture. And so Peter and John, they seem to be hanging out in the first part of Acts a lot. And uh, Peter's, I don't know if he was the oldest, but he's the recognized leader. John is the best friend of Jesus, and, and that's in Scripture. Uh, he's the one Jesus loved the most, and, and he loved Jesus the most out of all the twelve. So he's sort of by default another main leader. And Peter and James, John's brother, and John are in the inner three of Jesus. So these two guys, they hang out a lot, and they're going to the temple. And, and as they're coming in... There's a guy there that his friends have placed him there, or somebody's placed him there, to beg for alms at the beautiful gate. Now, let me just stop, because I've got to explain a couple of things here. Number one, I don't know who laid him there or why. It just says somebody put him there every day. Now, it could be the guys who put him there are getting a cut over what he begged for. I don't know. 
It could be just he has got a nice guy friend that puts him on his back, carries him down, sets him down every day to, to, to do something, to beg alms. But that strikes us, you know, you, you may think of like going down the interstate and getting off on an exit and somebody standing in the middle of the road up there. Um, you probably know where I'm talking about because it seems like there's somebody there all the time. Uh, maybe exit 94 and there's somebody in the median with a sign, you know, and they're asking for some, something, I don't even know, but something. You might have that idea, but this is much more than that. Number one, he's placed himself in a very, very good place to beg alms. Because you've got to understand what alms means. I, I looked it up. It hit me. It's like, what, what's, what's going on here? So I looked it up, and, and I got a whole page of notes on alms. I, I thought I'd you know, see, like, yeah, it's given to the poor. But there's a whole page on this. Because in the Old Testament... A giving of alms is something that God commands us to do to help people that are in need. It says that in the Proverbs, says that in the law, says that in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament and the Jewish thinking and, and what they did, and it even influ- influences into Islam, because Islam just copied some things from Judaism and Christianity, plus cultural, and you need to read uh, Kareem's book on that. And, and, and the giving of alms, that word became to mean Righteousness. To give an alm is to be righteous. And in the Talmud, the, the book of the Jewish people, explaining what God said plainly, you know how humans always have to take the simple and make it complex? Okay, so that's what they did. So it's the teachings of the... One guy said, the giving of alms will deliver you from the condemnation of hell. One rabbi said that much. Uh, that alms will deliver you from death and will purge away your sin. So giving of alms is a matter of being a righteous person. And here's what's interesting about that. You go to the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, 1, which is chapter 6 is the middle of the sermon. Jesus says this in 6, 1. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't go to heaven. Well, I guess what? I saw a lot of Pharisees in Israel. Today we call them Hasidic Jews. They live, they think strictly according to the law. Um, they're, they're extreme and they're, uh, in some ways they're not very nice. They're the only people that yelled at us while we were there. Um, they, they dress in all dark clothes. They're very strict. The ones who live there don't work because their job is to be righteous. And so their relatives come to America and make a lot of money and send it to them so they don't have to work. And when I went to the Wailing Wall, I went down where Janice can't go because she's a woman. Of course, a woman can't get in the presence of God. And, and, and you go down to the bottom, and there is an older part of the Wailing If you don't know what the Wailing Wall is, the western wall of Herod's temple. And it's the only part of the temple that didn't get destroyed by the Titus the Roman in 70 AD. And everything in Israel is about you know, 30 to 50 feet above what was there when Jesus was there. So you go down and you're in an older part of the wall and it's right there. And they've got libraries in there and these Hasidic Jews are sitting there and they're studying and reading the Old Testament and they're praying and they do this when they pray because they believe that you worship God with body, mind, and spirit. And so, so they are reading and studying. They are praying. That's the spirit. And they're moving their body as they pray so that they're praying God with all three things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and body as well. And then there's a glass piece and you look down and you can see stones that Solomon had laid for the temple. And they're being very, very religious. They're being righteous. 
And in Matthew 5, Jesus covered alms, prayer, and fasting. And these three things are the things came from Judaism, Christianity teaches it, and Islam even teaches it. That these three are the most important things that you can do as a believer in God. Help the poor, giving alms, praying to God, and fasting. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but unless your almsgiving, your righteousness, exceeds that of those guys, you're not going to see heaven. In other words, you can't do enough to get to heaven. See what he's saying? So Peter and John are going to the temple, and here's this guy at the gate beautiful. And since I was in Old City, and oh, this is the, this gate, and that gate, and that gate, I said, well, which one was the beautiful gate? So I looked it up, and they don't know. There was no gate called the beautiful gate in the Old Testament or back then. We're not sure. In fact, it could be it wasn't an outer gate which you're named. It could have been one of the inner gates of the outer gate. But here's another interesting thing. This word beautiful has a kind of a different meaning. The actual word is beautiful. But it has this sense. It's completely beautiful. It's finished. It's ripe. When a plant is growing, it's growing, it's growing. And then it starts to bud. And then it flowers. Now it's beautiful. Now it's full. An apple grows on the tree, it's a little, a little knot there, and it gets bigger and bigger, and then it ripens. Now it's beautiful. Isn't it interesting, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it says in the King James, at the right time, at the fullness of time. And here we're getting the same sense. This guy is at the gate, the fullness of time gate, the ripe gate, the beautiful gate. And we're not sure exactly which one it is, but sitting there is smart on his part. Because what does every person walking by him have to do? And if they don't, they're going to feel guilty. Exercise righteousness by giving alms. I mean, this is equivalent to a little girl knocking on your door and selling you cookies. How do you say no? Not just for the cookie's sake, which you had me at cookies. But this little girl's going, please, sir. Honey, got any money? We got to buy some cookies. Right? That guy was smart. Take me to the beautiful gate, man. Everybody going by me has got to give me something. And he's making a living out of begging. And we're always kind of doing the same thing. We always put ourselves in a place where we want to we get something But the deal is, there's somebody around you all the time in need. Jesus promised that. He said, the poor you got with you always. There will always be people in need. There's always an opportunity to to minister to somebody, to, to help someone. Are you aware of those people? Are you seeing those people? Or do you, like we all tend to do, kind of try to ignore them? Try to go by them without noticing them. Because I want you to see something here in, in, in verse 2 and 3. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. In verse 3, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. I'm going to stop right there. He sees two more. Now, if you keep reading there in verse uh, 4 and 5... It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. He sees Peter and John going by, and I don't know what was in his mind, but I imagine he goes, there's two more. They look like an easy touch. Hey, give me some alms. 
I'm, I'm your opportunity to gain righteousness. And it says, Peter stops and looks at him and says, look at us. And the Bible, I've got to go back and explain some of this. But then the Bible says the guy was expecting to receive something from them. And I wrote in my notes, low expectation. Because what was he asking for? A few coins. What's he going to get? The very power of God in his life. And I would just say that a lot of us, we are religious, but we don't have a relationship with the creator of the universe who we get to call Abba Father, Daddy Father. That the God who created everything you can see lives in the clay pot that is your body. And his power is present to take care of every need. And we beg for earthly, worldly things from sources that don't have them. What low expectations this guy has. All he wants is to sit at that gate and get people to hand him money day in and day out. Lowest expectation in the world. You know there are people, they don't look like this guy crippled from birth sitting at a gate begging money. They actually get up, put on nice clothes and go to work every day hoping to make a lot of money in this world. And no matter how rich you are, how poor you are, you're going to leave the same amount that Donald Trump will when he dies. Everything. And you fight and scratch and plead and beg and do whatever you can to gain in this world. And some people succeed at that and you're going to die and leave it all. Good job. It's not he who dies with the most toys wins. It's he who dies with the most toys still dies. It's not going to gain you anything in eternity. And this guy's expectations are so low he doesn't even see it. And that's why I want you to see here in verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John. I noticed that the wording looks different here. And so I looked it up. And in this particular spot, what the Bible is telling us is Peter looked at him with understanding. He looked at him and understood his need. When he saw him, he didn't just see a beggar begging for money. God spoke into Peter's heart and mind somehow and he said, here's a man that I want you to do something for that we're going to put in the Bible. Now, I'm not sure that's the words God used. But he let Peter know, this guy has a need that goes beyond alms and that's the guy. Because I'm sure there were more than one beggar there. There's probably several beggars there. But this one, God points out to Peter and says, look at him. And John looks at him. And I, I don't know how Peter and John, you know, the Bible doesn't give us every little detail. A lot of these, we get to sit around and go, hey, Peter, tell us about that time. And he'll tell us. And while, while the beggar's sitting there going, yeah, that was awesome, man. That was great. Let me tell you about, and we'll get to hear what they were thinking. But anyway, I hope heaven's that real to you. I know what y'all had floods while we were gone. It didn't rain while we, where we were while we were gone. It was just hot. And, 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 and as far as I know, nobody got hurt, and I hope they didn't. But imagine somebody died in one of the floods that happened here while I was gone. And they get to heaven, and, and, or they didn't die. God rescued them out of that flood, I should say. And they, but when they die, they go to heaven, and they say, hey, we're having testimony meeting uh, tonight. Oh, good. Can I come? Sure, you can come. That's what I'm telling you. And you go to testimony meeting in heaven, and you stand up and tell them how God... You say, I want to give testimony about how God saved me from that flood in Stanton. And they say, okay, but I've got, got to warn you, Noah's here. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Heaven's that real, friends. So I can't wait to hear this. I don't, I don't know what's going through this guy's mind, but the Bible's letting us know that Peter and John, when he looks at him, God says, 
Uh-huh, this is it. He looked at him with understanding. It's that word to know someone intimately. Peter knew him right away. It hit him. This guy has a need. And Peter and John directed his gaze at him, as did John. And then they said, look at us. And it goes back to that word, just look at us. And the next verse says, and he fixed his attention on them. He's like, oh good, I'm going to get money. So he's, he's cued in. Man, these guys are going to give me money. And that's what he's expecting. He's expecting Peter and John reaching their pouch or whatever. They kept their money and give them some coins. And it's two of them. So maybe they're going to you know, try to outgive each other. So you know, a competition who can be the most righteous. You see the setting that's going on here? This, is, this guy is in... As we would say in the South, hog heaven. I don't mean to use the word heaven because you'll think I'm talking about heaven. But this guy's like, man, I've hit the jackpot today. i got two guys. They're going to be in competition with each other. And I'm going to really make out. And here's what Peter says. I don't have any. <laughs> Look at the next verse, verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Well, now that's a disappointment. I don't know. Do you know how that in an emergency or in bad news, your mind kicks into about a thousand miles an hour? It may only last for a second or two, but your brain just really speeds up. Anybody had that experience? I mean, it happened to me. I was in my 40s. My best friend uh, is, is a year younger than me, and I get a call, and it's his little brother, and his little brother said, Trey's aorta exploded at church today, and my mind kicked into gear. Because I had promised Trey when I was a teenager, and we hadn't talked about it a lot since then, but man, I remembered as a teenager making a promise to him that I would take care of his wife and children if anything ever happened to him, and he made the same promise to me. I don't think I was even married. Just whatever wife you get, and if you have any kids, and something happens, you all take care of them. And I said, yeah, I'll take care of Kelly and the kids. He had four kids and a wife. And the first thing my mind thought was, oh man, how am I going to afford to help Kelly and the kids? That was the first thing I thought. But then I heard Bert saying, and he's in surgery. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. His aorta exploded and he's in surgery. He goes, yeah. Well, he survived surgery and he's alive. And he did die, but he, anyway, he survived. And maybe I can get him here and he can give the testimony alive. But man, my mind just kicked into, it's going 100,000 miles an hour. I got a feeling this guy's like, I'm going to get money, I'm going to get money. He just said silver and gold, I don't get any. What's up with this? And I just imagine his brain went into hyperdrive and he's going, how, how dare they? How dare they make me... His, Get out of the way, man. I, there's another guy behind you, man. That guy looks like he's got money. Move, you don't have anything. Get out of the way. I'm sure that's what he's thinking. Like, what do you mean you don't have any money? Move. What are you stopping me for? Then move. Get out of the way. But look what Peter says next. I don't have any silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The story is told that St. Bernard of Clairvaux... And y'all know the guy gets up, but St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he's a famous saint. St. Bernard dogs are named after him. Well, he is. He helped people. He, he was amazing. Back when the Catholic Church still was close to being actually Christian. Um, and, and, sorry, did I say that out loud? Anyway, he goes to visit the Vatican. The Pope takes him around. And he said, and if you're Catholic, no offense, my grandmother's Catholic. All my relatives are drunk Irish Catholic. So we can talk about that later if you want to. Literally, we met an Irish lady in Jerusalem, and she agreed with me. Um, but <laughs> didn't we, babe? Her name's Kathy. Um, we got to talk to her a while. But anyway, Saint uh, <laughs> Bernard. So the Pope, the Pope <laughs> takes him around, shows him the, the Vatican, and the Pope says to Saint Bernard, "Well, Bernard, no longer can Peter say silver and gold have I none." 
And Bernard looks at the Pope and says, and neither can he say, rise up and walk. You see, in affluence, we lose the power. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many people you have. It's not about what position you have. It's about who you know and who lives in you. And your relationship to him. That's the only thing that matters. And having been there this week, how Peter said this just... I, 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 I was writing out this sermon a couple of weeks ago and I was just studying it over this week. And my kids live in a place called Haifa, which is a modern city. It used to be kind of a swamp. So they planted a lot of eucalyptus plants there and some other things that are high water retainers. And they dried up the swamp with plants and then built a city there. And it's modern. It's the port city of, of Jerusalem, of Israel. A lot of things come into port there. And for my kids... Apartment, you can see the Mediterranean and you can see part of the port and it's kind of a peninsula and, and so the Med surrounds Haifa. And, and so that's where they live. And we would be out talking to people and they would look at us and say, where are you from? And my son-in-law would say, well, we're from Virginia. These are my in-laws. They're from Virginia. But we live here now in Haifa, but we're moving to uh, Rainy, which is a suburb of Nazareth. And every person he said that to, their face would change. They'd be going, and they would cock their head, and this stunned look would come in their face. You're, you're, you're moving to Rainy? You remember what Philip said when, when his brother Nathaniel came and said, Hey, come, come see, we found the Messiah. He said, Really? What's his name? Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Can any good thing good come out of Nazareth? They still think that. Somebody told me a city I could name around here, but I ain't going to do it. And Peter identifies Jesus as Jesus the Messiah from Nazareth. In that name, rise up and walk. In fact, the sermon Peter preaches to the crowds after this is about the name of Jesus. And whose name salvation comes and healing comes. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. What a powerful statement. Yeah, that guy from the little backwater town you didn't think anything of, he is the Messiah in his name, stand up and walk. That's easy to say. I can say that. But I want you to see what Peter did right after that. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Now, I've read that for many years, and it's like, come on, let me help you out. That's what you're thinking, right? Hey, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Come on, let me help you. It's not the sense of this word. This word means to shake awake, to awaken, to grab them and shake them. Sort of like grabs them. I go, don't you understand what I'm saying to you? And Peter grabs his hand and says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Grabs him by the hand, jerks him to his feet. Now see, we always focus on this guy getting healed. What is Peter thinking? Because it would have been real embarrassing if he jerked him in the air and then went, well, boom, back onto the ground. The guy goes, oh man, that hurt. Peter has such faith that God's going to do exactly what God said. He grabs him by the hand and with no hesitation, jerks him to his feet. And the guy comes off the ground and goes, whoa, what happened? Because it says immediately strength goes in his ankles. And I looked up that word. It means to harden, to set in place. It's like, for whatever reason, it never got right. It never was developed the way it was supposed to in the womb or outside the womb. And when Peter says that and grabs him, bam, suddenly it's a creative miracle and his bones grow and they harden and everything comes into place in a moment, in an instant. And when he hits the ground, he's standing. Woo! 
Amen. Yeah, and then Peter had, and, and then this guy had to go into a Baptist church because everybody got upset about this. And leaping up, verse 8, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, he didn't just get up and go, hey, y'all, good look, I can walk. No, he got up and went, what? Whoa! Look at this! I can run! I can hit the brakes! Look at this! I can jump! Whoa! Praise the Lord! And everybody went, what the world is going on? And then he said, that's that beggar that's always out there at the beautiful gate. What in the world happened? So many times we run from our past. We don't want to tell anybody about Jesus because they knew us before. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Excuse me, I'm old and out of shape. Seriously. We're more afraid of people saying, yeah, but I knew what you used to be. And you go, yeah, exactly, that's what I'm telling you. You see, your past gives context to the miracle God's done in your life. I'm not saying you ought to brag about your past, but don't be afraid of it. It is the context that, yeah, you're right, I was a mess. I made a total mess in my life. Are you kidding me? I made all the wrong choices, but Jesus came into my life. Jesus, the Messiah from Nazareth, entered this mortal body, and the power of God came into me, and he made me a brand new creature. And he can do the same thing for you. See, that is our testimony. That is what we can tell people. It's always in the name of Jesus. And people saw him walking and leaping and praising God and recognizing him as one who sat at the gate beautiful of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. If you've got a past, it just sets a contrast for the present. I know you're not what you're going to be. I know you may not be what you should be, but thank God you ain't what you were. Right? And that's the thing, man. You can just tell people, listen, I'm on a journey. I don't got it 100% right, but let me just tell you about this king of kings who will come into your life and take care of your need. Now, does God want to heal every time? I, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I heard a missionary say, I asked him about that because he, he would pray for people to be healed. And I said, Explain how, why you do that to me, because he, he was a little different than me. And he said this, he said, I'm willing to be embarrassed if God doesn't answer my prayer. And so I just pray for everybody. I was like, that's cool. That's a good way to look at it. If God can get glory out of my life by me being embarrassed, that's fine. Let me just pray for you anyway. Because God may have another purpose, a reason for you to be in the place you are. And he may leave you there until that purpose is fulfilled. But I know this, there's coming a day in my life where every need, every wrong thing, every problem that I've had or are having or I'm going to have is going to be over with and done. And I will be perfect because I'll be made perfect because I will see him as he is, according to 1 John 3. So until then, I can struggle on until that day, right? Paul only had two days on his calendar, today and that day. He lived a day for Jesus and looked forward to that day when he would see him face to face. And this guy is sitting there and God does a miracle in his life. And he immediately draws attention, not to himself, 
but to Jesus. They're saying, how did this happen? Peter said, let me tell you, the name of Jesus. And he goes on into a sermon, which we'll come to later. And so I just want to encourage you today to live your life for Christ. First of all, be, be open to ministering to people you meet every day at all times. Every person you meet is either going to heaven or hell. Every person you meet has a need. I promise you they have a need. They may not be willing to share it with you, but they have a need. You can pray for them. I, I know it'd be kind of awkward. You're going through a crowded store praying for every person. But you might be like Peter and God says, See, I need you to pray for him. See that lady? You need to pray for him. And you begin to pray and God may open a door for you. Are you sensitive to what God's doing around you? Are you just stumbling through life with your spiritual eyes closed? Because every where you go, even to church, there are people that need ministry. And the point is, as we pass each other at church, we ought to be helping each other come to know Jesus better. Rubbing Jesus off on everybody. Secondly, give Jesus away. Meet people's needs when you can. As much as lies within, if it's in your hand to do it, do it. But you always got Jesus. Always give away Jesus. He is the answer. What's the question? He's, all, he's always the answer. No matter what our questions are. And then thirdly, show Jesus off. What God's done in your life, show him off. Say, how do I... If I shook this glass right now, I'm not going to. But if I shook it, what would come out of it? Why? Because that's what it's filled with. And let me just tell you. I've heard people in an emergency say something. They go, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Well, I do. Because that's what you were filled with. What you're filled with is what will spill out when the world gives you a knock in the head. When the world bumps you. When I, There's a guy. He's with the Lord now. He was the very first Christian rocker. He started in the 1950s. His name's Larry Norman. And he wrote, wrote a song called, I think, Knocked Down. And he said, I've been knocked down, talked about, and people have scandalized my name. But here I am, talking about Jesus, just the same. Friend, I, fill yourself up with Jesus. And then when the world knocks you, Jesus will come out. Every time. Every time. Peter and John see a need. God points it out to them. They stop and say, look at me. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I don't have any money to give you. I got something better. I got something that lasts for eternity. I got something. It won't feed you now. It'll feed you forever. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, here's the answer. It's what we have. That's all we have. So many times we try all of our fixes and all the things we do. In fact, we're going to have a meeting in just a minute just to help organize ourselves so we can do things better. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you place organization and professionalism and training and seminars and all that above the power of God, that's both idolatry and blasphemy. It's idolatry because you're worshiping your program, and it's blasphemy because you ask God to bless it. What's better is let God tell you what to do and then do it. You see what I'm saying? Let God direct you, and then as God directs you, but be open to him. We, we just walk around shut off. I, I mean, seriously, that's our problem. We walk around, shut off. We don't want to talk to anybody. We don't do anything. And it's just an opportunity. It was easy for me in Israel because I look different. You know, of course, my wife's a lady, and so she's more worried about all the people don't look like me. 
And, uh, and, and I'm not scared because I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks anyway. And, and here's what I found funny. Like, you can't have a weapon on you and a weapon is a pocket knife. And I'm a southern boy. So that was hard. So I bought a Leatherman and I had it on my belt. And we had to go in a mall. And they got security at the mall. And they got guys with machine guns sitting there watching you. And my, son, my son-in-law said, you got that tool on you? I said, yeah. And, oh, man. I said, don't worry about it. I'll show him a pump and distract him. He said, okay. So he, go, he made him check because he you know, had a big black beard, black hair. He looked kind of like Janice. She's got olive skin. Looked at her kind of funny. Yeah, here's my bag. He looked at me and went, go on. <laughs> I didn't look like them. So he knew oh, I was a tourist going in. I don't care. <laughs> so I just stood out. It was easy to start a conversation. I was with the kids in a playground, and we're on this little twirly thing, and the guy sat down with his little baby girl, and he looked very Middle Eastern, very Palestinian, which I found out later he was. And I said, oh, and he was twirling us around, because it was man-powered little spinner thing. And I said, strong. He goes, thank you. And I went, whoa, you know English. He goes, yeah, I grew up in Alabama. Oh, okay. So my mother's Palestinian. I grew up in Alabama. been living in New York back in Alabama. I said, oh, okay. So then we got talking. So it was really easy for me to start a conversation because I look different. Around here, everybody looks the same. But God can point somebody out to you that needs your help. I've given you some humorous stories. Just to make a point. You be the different one. Have people staring at you and go, hey, how you doing? You know, I said, what are you looking at? Just go, hey, how you doing, man? My name's Stuart. What's yours? And they'll, they'll start backing up because they're scared. But. Listen, we got an opportunity to share Jesus with people. And what it takes is walking in the Spirit so that you can hear what God's telling you. And in the name of Jesus, we can minister Jesus to a world in need.